you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. Well, what's up, everyone? Uh, so as you heard in that opening ad spot, we've partnered with Vector Travel to, to offer our listeners a pretty sweet deal. But, but that deal, which is, is waiving the first month's listing fee, um, that, that really isn't the big deal. The big deal with Vector Travel is what they do for properties that, that have some vacancy and helping them recoup that revenue loss by, by putting them on the short-term rental markets like Airbnb. I used them this past year at a property that, that I oversee, and I, I could not be happier with both their service as well as the amount of, of additional income they were able to produce for the property. And I, I just wanted to, you know, call a little extra attention to them in this episode because it's it's the middle of May. You're starting to get a clearer picture of how your occupancy is going to shake out this fall. If you've got that feeling, you know, in your gut that you may not fill up this year and you may have some completely vacant units, get in touch with Vector now. Go to vectorstays.com forward slash SHI and fill out that contact info to get the free assessment. If your property is at one of the Power 5 football schools, you definitely need to reach out because you will want Vector completely set up and ready to go by the end of August so they can start marketing the property for, for those game day weekends. 
I just I can't stress enough how important that is. I'm already having some discussions with them about some some properties that uh, and property owners that I'm advising right now, and you know, basically saying, look, we can wait and see how things are going to shake out. You may get some additional leases in August, and if and if that happens, great. Um, but there's no harm in going ahead and talking to Vector now and start looking at getting a, a plan together so that you can take advantage of those football weekends for sure. And even if you're not in a Power 5, there, there could be some additional benefit to you this fall as well for, for other events that you may have in your area. All right, let's get into this episode. I've got two interviews that I had recently that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, one is with Rich Kelly from Student Housing Business Magazine about their upcoming Interface Conference coming up in July. I, I'll just tell you this. It is obvious that people want to get back to in-person events. Interface is on track to possibly being the largest attendance they've ever had. So make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode to to hear that interview and and understand uh, kind of what's in play for Interface. But in this first interview, it's actually from our Memo web series that we started earlier this year. By the way, that's still going on. You can go to our website and click on the events tab and get more info there. We have changed it up from a weekly meetup to to a monthly meetup for May and June. I'm not sure what we're going to do with that come the fall. Uh, Of course, we're taking July and August off because everybody's too busy to worry about webinars in July and August. So so make sure that you you go to the website and get information on that. But anyway, uh, this discussion for Memo is with Will Baker at Walker and Dunlop. Will has been an incredible resource in providing debt to student housing developers and owners over the past decade. He has literally seen this industry just blossom and, and turn into what it is today. And his company has really been an instrumental part of that. So, you know, someone that's seen a lot of that from a finance standpoint, I really wanted to ask him on behalf of our audience, who are mostly property managers, site level managers, uh, corporate level resource folks, regional managers, you know, what are the operational things that, that Will has seen come up over his tenure that keeps a property from being financed or, or you know, hurts a property in the underwriting process so the terms are not as good as they could have been? I really wanted to dig into that with them. And, you know, I think you'll find this enlightening, especially if you were on the operation side and, and you're not heavily tuned into, into what's happening on the finance side of student housing. And even if maybe you're some of the folks in our audience who are owners and, uh, and maybe you're heavily, you know, into the, <laughs> into the finance side, I think it's good to, to hear what what Will has to say, you know, on this topic. So uh, let's go ahead. Here's that interview. Again, Will Baker with Walker and Dunlop. All right. So let's jump into it. So is the property you are working on right now, or maybe you've got a property within your portfolio facing a potential sell or maybe a refinance of their loan? If so, you're going to want to pay special attention to my next guest. Will Baker is the Senior Managing Director of Real Estate Finance at Walker and Dunlop. He has over 17 years of experience in the multifamily financial world and is responsible for new loan originations with a focus on student housing properties. 
Wills originated over $7 billion in agency financing, including over $3 billion of student housing volume. He's also served as a consultant for Four Point Student Housing Investments, which was recently acquired by Walker and Dunlop, making them one of the top teams in the world providing brokerage and financing solutions to owners of student housing. Will is the perfect guy for us to talk to today regarding financing in the student housing industry. Will, welcome to Memo, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Wesley. It's great to be here. So let's just jump into it. Our audience is mostly folks on the operations end of the off-campus industry. Outside of you know reading snippets in Student Housing Business Magazine, most of our audience probably doesn't know much about yourself and, and Walker and Dunlop. I know I hit on some of the high points in my introduction, but give them a little bit of a background on how you've how you're involved uh, in the student housing industry. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I've been at Walker Dunlop now since March of 2002. So uh, I got into production and sales side in 2004 and really sort of fell into student housing um, kind of by accident. I was at the time just trying to find any any business I could on the production side in student housing back in 2006. It was a pretty small, niche product at the time with a lot of mom and pop owners and quite frankly, less competition on the lending side. So it seemed attractive to me as a 20 something trying to, to trying to find business. So got into it. Yeah. Uh, went to the conferences, which were obviously a lot smaller at the time than they, they were now. And uh, you know, <laughs> met some of the guys that are, that were young up and comers in the space, like Wes Rogers, um, who have obviously stayed in the space and, and become some of the largest players in the space. So it's clearly student houses have become a institutional, class asset class now with foreign capital flooding into it and it's just exploded so it's been fun being a part of it as long as i have and really you know walker dunlop got into it i'd say before i even started really kind of in the late 90s doing a lot of student housing in the midwest and ethical new york and just a few one-offs here and there whenever you can find them and um really developed an expertise in student housing we've now become the largest agency student housing lender over the past Five years, I think the company's done a little over seven billion dollars in student housing in the last five years. So it's a it's a product type we understand now and have developed a bit of a, a specialty and expertise within it. Now you're you're based in Birmingham, is that correct? I'm based in Birmingham now. Yeah, I started in Bethesda, where our headquarters is. When I started, we had sixty employees in one office in Bethesda, Maryland, and we now have over forty five offices, over a thousand employees, and offer about every capital source you can. So we we got a lot bigger. In uh, 2008, uh, 2010, we went public. 2012, we acquired CW Capital and doubled the size of the company. And then we've continued to grow dramatically since 2012. I moved from D.C. back to Birmingham, where I'm from originally, uh, about five years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, the reason I reached out and asked if if you could be a part of our memo web series is, you know, the, the pandemic delayed a lot of potential transa- transactions over the past year, be it, you know, properties trading, refinancing, moving from construction to, to permanent financing. Uh, so logic would say the floodgates are about to open and, and we are probably going to see a lot of movement with financing over the next nine to 12 months. I know you guys have, even through the pandemic, we're still very busy. But many of the site managers who are part of our audience, you know, have have mentioned that their owners are looking to refi in the coming months. So I, I thought it would be good to to bring someone with your experience and and just ask this simple question: What kind of mistakes do you see site managers and, and operating companies 
what what do you what kind of mistakes do you see them make that end up having a negative impact on the underwriting process or even delay a closing? Sure. And let me first preface my comments with all the lenders like Walker and Dunlop or Wells Fargo or Bricadia, whoever it is, as you know, there's always the underwriting team and then the production team. I'm on the production team and sales team, so I'm go, go, go. Let's figure out a way to get this deal done. <laughs> my underwriting team has a little bit of a pushback and their job is to identify any and all risk associated with every loan financing opportunity we have, whether that be market risk, whether that be property risk, that they see any issues at the property, whether it's this, uh, with the tenants, with the management staff, with um, new supply in the area. So there's any number of risks that the underwriters can identify. And a lot of that is identified on their site visit. Site visit is just so critical. It's so important that the manager be prepared with all the information, with the questionnaire that uh, our underwriter sends to him or her, I think the biggest mistake often we see is managers that just don't know the comp set, don't know the market that well. And you'd be shocked how many uh, property managers I've sat down with in their office and said, all right, I see we're sitting here at 94% occupancy today. How, how are your comps doing? And who are your comps, by the way? And uh, a surprisingly large percentage say, eh, I'm not really sure who they are. Maybe that one down the street, I don't really know. So it. That, that's a glaring red flag for us on the lending side that the on-site staff maybe has their eye off the ball. They don't know how their own rents compare to the, the main competitors down the street. So I think, number one, know who your main top three or four comps are. Know where their occupancy is. Know where their pre-leasing is. Um, know what how to sell this asset versus the other comp set. And just, I think, enforcing the rules. I mean, it's um, whether that be a pet policy, whether it be the smoking policy, you know, crime's a big thing that we look at closely on the underwriting side. So just being sure it's a you know, safe, clean, well-organized property because that it has a big impact when we're doing our site visits because, you know, we go through 10% of the occupied units and all the vacant units like to see any down units, know why they're down. Um, any major repair items, make sure they're hopefully addressed or being addressed by the time the underwriter and the appraiser, you know, get there to, to value the property. And you know, we often try to disturb the tenants as, as small as, you know, as little as possible. So we try to have the engineer, the appraiser, and our underwriter there on the same day when we're knocking on doors to go through the units. Uh, so we're not disturbing your tenants. But that's an important day. If you got all three of those parties lined up in one day to see this property, it needs to show well. You got the appraiser who's putting a value on this property. So we need to make sure he or she has what they need and everything is looking organized clean and in order on that day. And outside of outside of that that specific day or a couple of days of, of the site inspection, kind of walk us through a little bit, you know, what happens after that to the point that, you know, uh, uh, and I think it'd probably be good for, for our audience to understand kind of the process that, you know, that an owner goes through of getting the term sheet and getting to the point that they're closing. Can you kind of just walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, I'll take a step back. Once uh, someone comes to us and asks for a loan, we ask typically for the rent roll, the trailing 12-month operating statement broken out on a month-by-month -month basis so we can see any fluctuations in rent rent collections. We can see any, any unusual uh, spikes in any expenses. And we see the trailing three years of operating statement. So our team goes through all those, and then we make projections on a go forward basis, what we think with the current in place cash collections versus the new, you know, in trending expenses, whether it's the admin, advertising, payroll, et cetera, insurance, trending that up, figuring out what the reassessment is going to be on the taxes on a go forward basis. So we're making 
assumptions on the expenses. Send that in to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, whoever the lender is. We get approved terms, send an application, get that back. Once we have a signed application in hand, we send to our borrowers uh, a checklist. And it's a, you know it's got about 35 items on there. A lot of them are property related, whether that be, um, you know, whole payroll staff, you know, what, what all their, everyone's getting paid and all, um, what are the rules and regulations of the property? And it's, um, you know, the comps and that kind of thing. So we, there's an extensive list that our teams work on. Some, some are from more borrower focused on, on the org chart and who actually owns controls the property. Some are property management focused, some are asset focused. So we just got to get all those things in. Uh, we do send a checklist with a lot of questions to the onsite property managers before we arrive. Once we get that, we almost always have follow-up questions. So to the extent we can have any direct relationship or, or email correspondence with an on-site manager, that's always helpful because it makes our job a lot easier so we can get questions answered quickly to move it through the process. And so our underwriter needs to gather all this information, put it together in one big narrative, and then send it to the loan committee for a loan. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. Um, between Tier 1 and Tier 2, tier three universities and, and, and those off-campus assets. Is there anything different that you guys are, are looking at, you know, based on the enrollment of the school or the type of institution, uh, anything like that, that that we should be aware of? Uh, sure. And that's changed a lot. The rules of what I do changed significantly spring of last year when COVID began. So uh, we kind of we never went formally on pause, but as a lot of you remember, it was about a year ago, this time last year, when everyone was just in pure scramble mode for the next two to three weeks, as you guys on the operations and management side were wondering, what are our tenants going to do? Are they going home? Even though school is shut down, are they going to stay here and be with their friends and continue paying rent? Are they going to go home and try to get out of their leases? I'm sure you had a mixture of both. We didn't know what was going on either from the lending side, both on all our conventional multifamily, but of course in the student housing too. Now, once the dust settled a little bit, we were pleased to see that I think a very significant number of the students did in fact stay and pay um, their 12 month leases. Um, but it's regarding your question on enrollment, so the agencies who do the majority of permanent financing and student housing uh, did have a dramatic new shift toward focusing just on major universities. They say power five, but They'll consider financings on other large universities, like the University of Central Florida, for example, which is, I think, is the second largest university in the country. It's got over almost 60,000 kids. So, you know, brand name schools, bigger schools, they like to see at least 20, 25,000 kids or more. What's changed is those 15,000 enrollment in school, that kind of third tier type school. There's not an agency fit for right now. There are some potential lending sources, whether that be LifeCo um, or CBS, one of the Wall Street lenders. There's other sources of capital and social debt you can look for, but Fannie and Freddie are not going to finance those third tier type schools with the small enrollments. Didn't do it last year. And I don't think they'll do it at any point this year either. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just wondering, you know, from, and I, and I didn't prep you for this question, so um, feel free to say you, you just don't know, but the, um, uh, you know, looking at the, at some of the past relief bills that have come out, specifically the one in December that uh, I think it was, I may be wrong on this number. I think it was close to one and a half billion in loan forgiveness for for HBCUs, um, which you know helps their balance sheet out incredibly. And and you know there's a lot of speculation on you know will they look to partner with you know some of the P three 
uh, folks that are in our industry to, to add more housing. Is there anything that you're seeing, you know, from a lending side, uh, be it on P3 or, and I, and I don't know how much P3 lending do you guys do versus typical private off-campus housing? Uh, we do not do much P3. Um, we don't, we don't typically do that type of financing. You know, that financing did probably suffer a little worse than others during the lot during the, the lockdowns and primarily because they're gotcha. on campus subject to the rules of the university. So if the university said we're closed, then oftentimes the, the, the project, even though it was owned by a private owner, often also had to close. So they were right. probably a little more risk than the, the private off campus. Right. 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 So, so, so anything with the, you know, especially the most recent relief bill, is there anything with those that are, that are giving you guys a little bit more, I guess, a, a better feeling on where uh, finance can be, can be headed in, in the specific industry? Uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was just discussing this this morning. There is some student forgiveness provisions being discussed right now and some certain some within the bill. And I think that is going to become a bigger topic on Capitol Hill over the coming months on student forgiveness. I know if something like that happens, it'd be interesting to see how, what ramifications that has on the student housing industry, because that, that is to the bit, because there's over a trillion dollars of outstanding student loans right now. And so um, that's, you know, look, student affordability of housing is a big issue for us right now. There's, there's a, there's a, a lack of affordable housing right now. A lot of the new supplies catering to the, of course, the more expensive type units. And so um, we've got to figure out some way to incentivize people to set aside beds to a more affordable level. This is something that um, it's an ongoing discussion that I've had with the agencies. It's something that I know uh, they'd like to address. It's difficult to create new products in their world, but it's something they've identified as a need. They, they get it. They know there's, um, you know, not every student housing property has a rooftop pool and a big movie theater up top and a jumbotron. There's a more affordable type student housing properties that we need to focus on too. So overall at Fannie and Freddie, there's been a big focus on affordability on the conventional multifamily side. So half of all of our production needs to cater to more workforce housing uh, type apartments. And so what I'm advocating for is just, let's do that on the student housing side. Let's recognize that there's that sort of affordable workforce housing type student tenant that we need to, uh, we need to provide for. We need to provide good financing incentives for the owners of those type of assets. And uh, whether that's favorable interest rates or terms, what have you, we need to figure something out in that space. Interesting. Well, and, and I definitely wanted to, you know, kind of ask that that question. I think you're kind of, you know, leading to it there. You know, what is it that, you know, we're in a much different world today than, than a year ago, and, and a lot of things are still changing. What do you see on the horizon that, that lenders may start requiring or changing with, with the underwriting process that, that we need to be aware of? Well, I don't you know, one of the major changes we had doesn't necessarily affect the, the, the operations management team, but we had COVID escrows. This is a an escrow of cash just set aside that owners of properties that they needed a loan from us just had to put up with us and just sits there. And so it's basically in the event that the operations at the property began to suffer due to COVID, if a number of your students just leave and try to get out of their leases and your occupancy goes from 95 to 75, and you're barely able to support the mortgage payment, then we have that escrow set aside to make sure the mortgage is paid during this hopefully short-term pandemic. Now, this was all implemented in the spring of 2020 when 
we didn't know what was going on with COVID or what this meant for the summer or the <laughs> fall. We had no idea. A lot more visibility now. We got through what we hoped, knock on wood, was the worst of this. And it certainly feels to a lot of us in the lending community, and I think um, to the buyers and sellers right now, that we're through the worst of it. Uh, we're starting to see some positive uh, announcements from some major universities like the University of Alabama that says they're having full in-person classes for this fall, uh, full in-person stadiums as well, no uh, size restrictions. So I think you'll see more of those announcements coming throughout the spring. I mean, if you recall last last spring, we were all looking on that website to see what these schools were announcing regarding online or in-person or a hybrid or what the breakdown was going to be. And that sort of helped to give us some comfort on what the fall was going to look like. Now that we're, um, you know, COVID cases are coming down and vaccinations are going up and students have, have you know, a lot spent a year doing mostly online for the most part are ready to get back to normalcy as well. So my hope is that, for example, that COVID escrow will go away at some point this year. I think it will. I just don't know when. Um, I don't know if any other major underwriting change. I mean, one one change we had to make is we couldn't do all in-person site visits anymore uh, to the property. So what we did to make it easier, and you know, look, a lot of the students and the property managers didn't necessarily want us coming into the properties and not, you know, getting inside of students' rooms as much yeah. understandably with COVID. So what we did was just have our appraiser who did actually have to be in there uh, fully masked, of course, and just use his iPhone. And we did virtual inspections with our underwriter who would be back at their house looking in each of the units. Interesting. And so we'll start to resume normal in-person site visits. I hope at some point this year, maybe this summer, early fall, we'll get back to normal on the site visit um, part of the process. Gotcha. Gotcha. So before I let you go, uh, you know, outside of some of the mistakes that, that you mentioned earlier that you've seen operators make, any any advice that you would have for the audience on on things they can do to, to help make the financing yeah. process smooth and seamless? It kind of goes back to what I said earlier on knowing your comps, but when it comes to late spring before your tenants scatter for the summer, really hammer, hammer that pre-leasing hard. And, and look, we we look at net net rents, right? So it's not purely about pre-leasing occupancy. If you dropped your rents a hundred bucks just to get bodies in there and signing, that's not going to help us. We need to see, we need to see some rent growth, but we need to see some strong pre-leasing, preferably ahead of where it was this time last year, preferably ahead of your top three or four comps. So if you can do that before June, that's really going to help us on the lending side know that this is one of the best leading assets in the market. It's ahead of its comps. It's ahead of where it was last year. We feel bullish on how it's going to look come fall. A lot of our financings really happen in the fall. So making sure the students get there, turn over, you know, the turns go well in August, and the students show up. So collections in August is really critical. We need to see a high percentage of collections, of rent collections in August and September. September and October is usually when most of the closings actually occur, but we need a really clean uh, rent roll in August and September with strong collections those two months. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, that was going to be my next question is kind of, you know, for you guys, how, how are you stacking the dominoes as far as the timing? When's the, when's the best time? I think that that makes all the sense in the world that it's going to be right after move in. So, exactly. so I mean, good news. technically we can do loans right now. It's just, we start to really hammer in more on what the pre-leasing is. Uh, whereas if you, if you close your loan in the fall, hopefully you'll have a higher Jeep uh, rent roll with the, with the rent increase included for the fall academic schedule. Plus, we don't really dig in at all to the pre-leasing because it's just fall. We don't expect it to be pre-leased. So 
yeah. it's more of just underwriting the new, uh, trailing two months, two or three months of collections for the fall year, and off you go. Whereas you do now, we hammer down really closely on, on your pre-leasing where it is. If it's too low, we may just say, sorry, we can't do anything right now. we got to wait till the fall. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Will, thanks so much for, for your time. I think our, our audience is certainly you know better for it. I, I appreciate it so much. The, um, uh, you know, for most of our audience members are not going to be the ones that are, that are picking up the, the phone and calling brokers to, you know, see what, financing options are out there. But if we've got that owner or if we've got an asset manager that's that's watching this and they've got that question and want to reach out to you, what's the how's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can feel free to email or call me anytime. I'm more than happy to uh, to discuss anything with um, with whether it be a property management staff or asset management team. My, my work number 301-215-5510 is probably the best number for it. And I'm always happy to help and answer any questions you have. Great, great. And we've also got your, your email and your LinkedIn profile in our, in our, on our speaker page. So folks can, uh, folks can look there as well to, <clears throat> to get your information. Will, thanks so much again, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Wesley. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, folks, I hope you got a lot out of that. Again, big thanks to Will for giving his time. And if you are listening to this and you reach out to Will for financing services, make sure you tell him that you heard about him here at Student Housing Insight. I know he'll uh, he'll appreciate the time he spent with us even more if if he's able to hear that. So, well, guys, let's get to that next interview I was telling you about with Rich Kelly at Student Housing Business and our discussion on the upcoming Interface Conference in Austin this coming July. Here's that interview. Well, guys, it is, uh, I, I, I don't know that I can necessarily say it's that time of the year again, because <laughs> we're typically having this conversation and in February, March time frame. But as with all things with 2020, there there's still a ripple effect going on in 2021. But the the premier event that happens every year in our industry is is Interface Student Housing Conference that's put on by France Media and, and Interface Conferences based out of Atlanta. And 2020 put a, a damper on things with with that industry. With, with all industry events for 2020, and a lot of us had to, to pivot and go to virtual, which I don't think any of us really liked, um, but it is, it's what Interface and as well as uh, in combination with NMHC did with their annual student housing conferences in 2020. But at, as of now, everything is back on and we're not going to be doing it in April right before the Masters like we, we've typically done in the past. This year, it's in July, and joining me today to talk a little bit more about the conference is Rich Kelly with France Media. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wes. Thanks for having me. Like you said, a little different circumstances. We had so many people that wanted to go to the Masters every year, we decided to move the event to July. No, I'm just <laughs> that, was a, uh, that was a COVID-induced decision, but you know what? It actually, I think it's going to work out pretty well. I must tell you, from our own sake, it's actually nice to have more time to plan. Um, yeah, that's actually worked out well, but, uh, yeah, it's a little different. It'll be hot down in Austin in July, but that's, that's all right. The conference is indoors and, uh, I think we're all going to be safe and vaccinated hopefully and, uh, and, and put on a, a great two days. So we're really excited about it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing. Just you know, when you guys made the announcement that you guys were pushing it to to July, I thought, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It's getting really close to turn. You know, there may be a lot of folks that that's not going to work for. And plus, you know, from from the deal transaction standpoint, like April's a perfect time to to be meeting, but. As we've come, you know, we, we've rolled out the vaccines and everything else through the spring, um, and, and we're, you know, CDC just announced this past week that they're they're pulling back their their recommendations on 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 face masks with folks that have received the vaccine. It's like, okay, this this could actually be really really good having this in July. So. That was uh, that was great planning. I don't know if you guys were reading the tea leaves or exactly what it was, but but yeah, right after right after the first of the week, it's going to start. I mean, first of the month, right after Independence Day, I believe July seventh is the first day of of the conference. Uh, July thirteenth, July thirteenth through the July thirteenth, excuse a, me, Tuesday through Thursday timeframe. Uh, we've actually had a ton of people making hotel room reservations for Monday night too. So I think people are really getting there early and starting their networking. Yeah, we wish it wasn't as close to turn as it was. That's unfortunate that it was just kind of the circumstance, you know, the hand we were dealt. But I think we we wound up judging pretty well in terms of where we are from a COVID standpoint and a vaccine standpoint, thank goodness. So I think we're, we're good on that front. Interesting you said about how normally the event in April times up great and syncs up very well with deal flow and activity. But, you know, I think that deal flow and activity has gotten held up a little bit this year because people want to see leasing numbers, et cetera. Exactly et cetera. right. So actually, July might actually now be a very good time from that standpoint, you know, this this, this next uh, five, six, seven weeks. So, yeah, that we feel very fortunate, Wes, and uh, we're looking forward to, to a great event. Yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right about that. Everybody is um, I'm involved with a couple of deals myself. And, yeah, lenders are, are really wanting to. To see what's happened, even even if they're seeing good year over year leasing trends, they're saying, "Yeah, but last year was an anomaly." Like I don't know that we can we can really look at that. So, so yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. Do you think in the future it's it's going to go back to April, or do you think this is something you might stick with? No, no, we'll, we're going to go back to the April May timeframe moving forward. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, again, and it's it starts on on uh, June set. <coughs> excuse me, July. I'm going 13th. to get the date messed up again. July 13th or 17th? 13th, yep. Why do I keep... So it's the 13th through the 17th. Uh, 13th through the 15th. 13th through the 15th. Okay, perfect. So I don't know why I don't remember that. I've got it in my schedule and I've told other people about it. So I don't know why I'm having a problem with that date. But 13th through the 15th at the JW Marriott in Austin, Texas, which is is right downtown. Great place to be. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I think probably the first thing that's going to be on everyone's mind is, is there going to be anything that's different? Is there going to be, uh, you know, should they expect any type of social distancing rules that the hotel may have made you aware of? Um, obviously, Texas has been has been pretty uh, open about restrictions or, or relaxing restrictions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the hotel is going to be so kind of kind of give us that what's the, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like and and what are you guys um anything nor i guess abnormal in the schedule from previous years that we can expect uh good question in terms of what it's going to be like on site at the event uh hard to say exactly right now you know if you'd asked me that question two months ago i would have said well it'll probably be like this and now you know two months later that answer would be completely different and the event is still two months away so, you know, it could very well be, 
you know, very different again in two months. What I can tell you is that I'm actually going down to uh, Austin next week with Randy Sheeran, and we are going to meet with the folks at the JW to talk about a few things, uh, to try to get the lay of the land in terms of distancing and setup and things like that. I can tell you that the event is traditionally always been on the fourth floor of the JW, kind of consolidated all right there on yeah. that one floor. This year, we are going to be on the fourth floor, but also on the third floor. So okay. we are going to have our concurrent session rooms down on the third floor as part of that ballroom. That will do a couple things. It'll make the concurrent session rooms much, much bigger, which will allow more distancing, which is mm-hmm. a good thing because uh, those, those rooms up on the fourth floor were pretty tight. Um, it will also allow us to use the full ballroom on the fourth floor, which will also, again, allow for more distancing. And then it also, you know, by getting people down to the third floor, it also we're going to put a networking lounge down there because the networking lounge we've always had on the fourth floor, we're going to continue to do that uh, through our friends at University Furnishings who, who are gracious enough to help set us help us set that up. But we're going to yeah. make it more distance, right? We're going to spread it out a little bit more. Uh, but for anything we're losing in terms of number of seats or number of tables or number of chairs, we're going to offset or probably add to it because we're also going to have a networking lounge on the third floor. So gotcha. yeah, we're lucky that the, the JW didn't have somebody on the third floor during our dates, you know, for probably obvious reasons. There haven't been a lot of meetings been going on. So for this one year, we're able to utilize both the fourth floor and the third floor, which will allow us to do, a, you know, I think a lot of good social distancing in terms of crowd disbursement, if you will, and not having session rooms be overly crowded. So that's a good thing. And I'll know more, you know, after I get back from, from, the, J, from the JW next week and visiting with them. Uh, our first, you know, it, it should never go unstated that our, our chief goal and motivation is to put on a safe and healthy event for everybody, uh, for our staff, for our speakers, for our exhibitors, for our attendees, sponsors. We, you know, we want to put on a, you know, we're going to do things in a logical and smart fashion. That that should go without saying, but I, but I do want to say it because, you know, I want everyone to know out there that we take this seriously and we're going to do what what should be done to make sure that everybody is in a good, safe environment. And, you know, more to come, I'd say, on that in the next uh, the next eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think the important thing is making sure that, you know, if, if someone's interest, interested in going and hasn't um, registered yet, or if they're, you know, if they're even registered, make sure that uh, make sure that they're getting the emails from you guys. And um, I know they can s- sign up for that, the website, if they're not getting it already, which it. it if someone's wanting to register today, let's just go ahead and talk about that really quick. Is is it just going to studenthousingbusiness.com the best place for them to go to? or uh, It's actually interfaceconferencegroup.com. So I-N-T-E-R-F-A-C-E conferencegroup.com, long address. Um, when you get there, click on Interface Student Housing. And when you click there, then we'll take you to the conference website and you'll see you know, agenda, speakers, sponsors, hotel venue information, and of course, a button to register as well. Perfect. So let's talk about, um, well, let's talk about registration really quick, because you and I talked a little bit about this uh, in kind of our green room session, talking about the numbers. You've already got over 900 registrations. You know, we're recording this on on May 14th. And we were talking a little bit about how that compared to, to previous years. And, and obviously, it's a little bit different because of the timing, but that's shaping up to maybe be one of the biggest conferences you've ever had. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I mean, I think the biggest crowd we ever had was 1,200 a few years ago. And I haven't checked this exactly, but, you know, we're still nine weeks out from the event. So normally that would be early February. 
right? When we do the event in April. Uh, and I don't think in early February we've ever had 900 people register. So we might even be ahead of pace, which would be interesting. You know what? I, I almost, I really don't care in some ways how many people are there at this point. We've got a great <laughs> number already. I know we have the right people there, which frankly is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if we only had 100 people signed up or 200 people registered, I'd be concerned. But, you know, we're at a point now where I know it's going to be successful. We have the right people coming as speakers and sponsors. The exhibit floor is basically sold out. I think we have two exhibits left. The hotel room block we've added to four times. So I know we actually almost have more hotel rooms booked than we have people registered, which tells me some people have booked their rooms but are waiting to register. I assume hopefully that they will. So all things point to a very robust event. You know, whether it matches the 1200, I'm not really concerned about that. I, we're going to have a, we're going to have the right people there. We're going to have enough people there for everybody to be able to f- derive a lot of value from their own presence. So, uh, we're very excited. Yeah. yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about um, about what to expect. I mean, obviously there's the conference with the sessions and 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 the networking. We'll talk about those uh, in a little bit more detail in a, in a moment, but there's typically the golf tournament and I can't imagine playing golf in July in Austin um, and how miserable that, that at least I would be in that kind of heat trying to play golf. But uh, that's typically on, on uh, the first Monday. Is that happening again this year? Yeah. So usually the golf tournament kicks things off. So it would have been like Tuesday morning this year. And for two reasons, we decided to, to not do the golf this year. One is the reason you just alluded to. It's going to be really hot. <laughs> and uh, even if you start at eight in the morning, it's probably hot at eight in the morning. I know it's going to yeah. be really hot by 11 a.m. or noon. Uh, and so we don't want anyone keeling over on the course and not being able to make it for the rest of the event. So between that and also just a thought on our half, on our behalf was, you know, I think if there's ever a year to keep things simpler rather than more complicated, this is probably the year to keep things a little simpler. So we're not going to do the golf outing this year. It pains me. You know, I'm a, I'm a golfer. I've always enjoyed it. I know a lot of people love that golf outing and really look forward to it. Uh, I can promise you we'll be, it'll be back next year. So we're not doing the golf outing. Um, we are going to start with our roundtables, as we always have. We may break that into two shifts of roundtables, again, for kind of distancing purposes. Yeah. But uh, the roundtables are something people really love. It allows us to cover so many more niche topics that we don't get to cover necessarily in the agenda. So yeah. uh, it's a way for us to give more value to our attendees. And that's what the event is always, you know, always about. So we are going to do the roundtables, and then that will roll into our opening cocktail reception on Tuesday night from five to seven. That will be on the floor of the exhibit hall. Uh, you know, the exhibit hall is a big, it's a big space. Uh, it, it spaces itself out pretty well. So I'm confident that that's going to work out well. And, and, you know, I look forward to hopefully seeing everybody on that, on that exhibit floor for the cocktail reception at five o'clock. Yeah. 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 And to talk about the round tables, I mean, what I love about, about that is a great opportunity. If there's something, regardless if you're, you know, more on the operation side, like I've been throughout my career, or if it's something, you know, on the, on the debt or equity side, or if there's something on the, you know, on the development side that that's a little bit more kind of a, a niche type of thing, you know, be it interior design or, uh, you know, something on the, on the software side of what we do. That is a fantastic place to to sit down with a group of people. There's typically, 
you know, two or three folks that are the expert in whatever that topic is and really kind of dig into one, tell them the problems that you're having with, you know, whatever solutions you've been using or, or been trying to find as well as, you know, just really getting a good education on, on those, uh, on those particular topics. It's been, uh, it's been very beneficial for me um, in the past few years that, that I've attended and, and been a part of those. So um Certainly hope people will not discount that and think that uh, it's just kind of a, a buffer thing, that there's some real answers being sought out during those those roundtable discussions. Exhibit Hall, I know you know we've got a lot of the folks on the supply side um, that listen to, to the podcast. Um, and typically, the, the booths in the Exhibit Hall sell out really quick. Uh, anything left or is that all sold out at this point? Uh, I think we have two booths left, and by the time you send out this podcast, it's probably <laughs> be gone. Um, you know, listen, people haven't had a lot of ways to get in front of other people for the last yeah. year and three months. They haven't been able to go to trade shows or conferences. They haven't really been able to travel around and do sales calls by and large. Maybe more, maybe a little bit more of that as of late. So, you know, our event is a chance to get out in front of them and, and re-engage with people and, and show them what you do and remind them who you are and, and how you can benefit them. So the support for the exhibit hall has been, been very robust. Oh, great. Great. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the sessions. Um, I, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, what you were planning out and there's still some sessions that, you know, you're given the, um, uh, you're given some time on just because man, the, the headlines are constantly changing. And I think, and you know, one good thing about interfaces, you guys have always put some sessions on the schedule that were very timely. So I know that that that's that's going to probably play out very well for for folks that are attending. But what you've got in place right now, uh, anything specific you want to talk to the to our audience about? Well, you know, we're thrilled that Bill Bayless is going to be our keynote speaker on Wednesday morning. You know, nobody sets the tone in a better way than Bill does, and uh, I think he'll give a very good reflection of, you know, where the industry is at, at that point in time on July 13th, both uh, off campus and on campus. Uh, you're right, Wes, we do try to be timely. You know, there are a lot of conferences that plan out their agenda six months ahead of time. And while I admire their planning, um, <laughs> you know, that's not the wisest course of action, because a lot of things can change over that time. So I've been keeping my eye on what's been going on this spring semester uh, on campus and off you know, and at off campus properties. You know, what's been going on on the investment front, what's been going on on the development front, and what's going to happen next fall, where it seems fortunately most schools are going to be open and things are returning hopefully to normal. So all that will be factored in as we put together the agenda. You know, we will have our usual mix of, you know, investment, development, and finance oriented sessions. Uh, we'll have certainly leasing management and operations sessions, you know, some architecture, some design, some technology and then, you know, other other things that have been uh, been very topical, uh, whether it's, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, um, you know, things that the industry may have learned from the pandemic or through the pandemic that, that might stick with us. So uh, all that's being kind of put together as we speak. And hopefully we'll be announcing that very soon. Well, great. So um, a couple other things uh, as it relates to to the hotel. Uh, I got an email er earlier this week that the room block had been expanded. Any details on that that you can that you can provide? Yeah, you know, it's again, it's one. I guess if there are any positives to take from all that's gone on, it's that 
you know, uh, we're not in April, which is more of a peak time in, in Austin. We're in July and there aren't a lot of other big events, I guess, going on around that time. So we've been able to keep adding more rooms to the block, whereas in years past, we've had to, uh, you know, have people go and stay nearby hotels. So I think you know, there's going to be room for everybody at the JW. Uh, the room rate is, God, I think it's half of what it was in 2019. So it's very... Mm very affordable. So, uh, you know, that's one of the, uh, the good things that, that's come out of this, I guess. Unfortunately, I can't promise that for next year, but uh, you know, enjoy <laughs> it while it lasts this year. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Innovator Awards. Um, you guys are, are taking submissions. Well, I guess you're probably through that process at this point or getting close to it. It just, uh, the, the uh, deadline, I think, was last Friday. Gotcha. Um, Randy tells me we have a record-setting number of submissions, which we were pleasantly surprised nice. by. We didn't know you know, what the impact of last year might have been on that. We didn't really know what to expect. But yeah, a record setting number of submissions and entries. Uh, judging invites are going out very soon. And, uh, you know, the innovators should be should be a blast. Should be a lot of fun. That'll be on the Wednesday night. We also have on uh, a special thing happening on Wednesday that was, you know, supposed to happen back in 2020. But we're going to be uh, awarding our first ever Lifetime Achievement Award, Student Housing Business Lifetime Achievement Award to Mr. Tom Trubiana of Graystar, formerly EDR and formerly Allen and O'Hara. Uh, Tom will be there to accept on site, which we're thrilled about. And, uh, you know, we got a couple uh, neat uh, tricks up our sleeves in that regard. So uh, that's going to be a fun moment. And other than that, you know, it's going to be getting back to kind of what your previous question, it's going to be hopefully a very similar experience to what it's been other years. You know, it's going to be a lot of great content on Wednesday and also a lot of really good sessions on Thursday. So don't, don't leave early, make sure that you're sticking around and then a lot of great networking time. And I know that, you know, people are anxious to see each other and, and hopefully they'll be doing that in private meetings and on, uh, on our exhibit floor and in our networking lounge. Well, I am super excited about, about getting back to, to see everybody. The speaker lineup is, um, is pretty astounding and, and, I you know, looking forward to, to seeing some of the the new faces there as well, uh, the, like I said earlier, this is this is really the um, the premier event in our industry, and it's it's really kind of become you know the uh, kind of the, the the global event for student housing, at least purpose built student housing. And I, I know that you guys were getting a lot of folks from from other countries registering in twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, and and the again the the globe was kind of really looking at. And this has been the event, you know, for everybody to to come to. I know that that's not going to be the same this year, but just kind of curious if you've been looking at those registrations and seeing any other countries that are being represented besides the U.S. Yeah, you know, I've had a number of conversations with uh, friends and supporters in Canada, and I feel bad that our friends in the in the north are currently <laughs> a little landlocked up there. But you know, Wes, that, that goes back to my previous statement of you never know what's going to happen in the next nine weeks, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, who knows, right? If, if there's a will, there's a way. Hopefully, maybe they can make it. I know, for example, uh, the folks at GSA who bought the university communities portfolio yeah. uh, in such a big deal earlier this year. I know they're coming over. Um, I have seen some registrations, a smattering of registrations from some foreign countries as well, you know. Who knows what the next nine weeks will bring? Obviously, we welcome you know everybody to the event and hope that we can uh, you know open our doors to as to as many folks as possible. 
Well, fantastic. Well, again, um, thanks so much for your, for your time, Rich. Um, also, thanks for for you know working with myself and Student Housing Insight. We're we're going to be doing another podcast, remote podcast recording, which those have always gone over really great with our audience because it, it is one of the few occurrences where we can get uh, you know the folks that are in the in the C suite and in a lot of those executive positions under the same roof at the same time and and being able to to sit down with them and, and pick their brains on on topics has just has been a delight for me and uh, you know judging on the on the downloads that we've gotten from from our from those specific podcasts have been have been pretty big so looking forward to doing that again thanks again for for assisting us with that and, and making that available to us and yeah man looking forward to it again it's July 13th through the 15th, JW Marriott in Austin, Texas. And that website, one more time, Rich? Uh, Interfaceconferencegroup.com. Perfect. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, Wes. And uh, before we go, uh, yeah. keep up the great work with Student Housing Insight. Um, you, you, you're doing, you do a lot of very good work and service to this industry. Uh, and I know it's appreciated. What you did last year, assembling those podcasts with the uh, college and university folks, that was, I mean, how, how, how timely was that, right? I can only imagine how difficult it must have been to get all those people together. So uh, keep up the great work and, uh, you know, you do a lot of good for the industry. I, I appreciate it so much. And um, yeah, just, you know, quite honestly, the same thing back to, to you and your team. Uh, this industry would be very, very, very fragmented if it wasn't for, for folks like you guys that are trying to, to bring everybody together and give us platforms, not just like the conference, but the magazine as well and love working with you guys. So thanks so much. You're nice to say that. Thanks, Wes. Have a great weekend. You too. Well, guys, that's it for this episode. If you're going to be at Interface and would like to chat about what we are doing here at SHI, or maybe you want to talk to me about consulting services that I provide at Providential Student Housing, please reach out. I would love to schedule some time. Best place to go for that is just to email me at contact at studenthousinginsight.com. Also, if you're listening to this prior to June 3rd, we have a special webinar we are doing at noon Eastern on the 3rd. It's all about how to market a new development or a major renovation. We've got a fabulous panel that includes folks from CA Ventures, Landmark Properties, Asset Living, Price Company, um, and of course, our, our folks over at Empower PMC. Additionally, we're going to be reviewing a report that Euphorus has put together. And if you haven't heard of Euphorus before, they are one of our sponsors. Talked to them a couple of times on here about their virtual reality services um, that they provide for property websites. You can also use a lot of their renderings and things, obviously, for social media marketing and, and that type of thing. And, you know, Euphorus is so important. And if you're doing any type of new development, having them be a part of, of your marketing team that's putting together that website, because let's face it, you're you're selling dirt and you need you need some good renderings and architectural renderings and even the, the architectural, um, you know, 3D uh, tours are, are just not the same as a virtual reality tour, especially one that Euphorus does because they're a group of, of gaming engineers. Um, you know, these are the folks that 
you know, put together FIFA and um, a lot of the EA Sports stuff <laughs> that you probably you know played growing up. Maybe you've got kids playing those games now. Those are the type of folks that work at Euphorus. But anyway, they they are going to be releasing a report at that webinar that they put together after surveying over 200 students on what they want to see on a property's website before making a decision to lease online. It's some really invaluable information. Um, anybody that registers for that is going to get a, a free report or get the free report from Euphorist. So make sure that you register for that. You can find out more information on our website at studenthousinginsight.com and just click on the events tab and you'll see the event there. It is outside of our typical memo webinar series. So it's going to be something that we're doing on, on Zoom. And yeah, looking forward to, to doing that and hope you guys will join. Well, guys, that does it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this helpful, please go out and share it with your colleagues. Tell them about the podcast. Tell them about the website and the Student Housing Insight community uh, that we have on our website as well. Uh, that goes a long way into, you know, just growing that community and, and understanding more of what it is that the student housing professionals are needing from an organization like ourselves. So please go out and share, tell everybody about it. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.